Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Jory tonight. And our topic is learning to praise the Lord. I got interested in this. Uh, Swedenborg explains that the heavens are engaged in praising the Lord. It's one of the things that they do a lot. And uh, it's not the only thing they do. Um, and he says that angels are us later on. The angels are ex-people, you know. We have a shot at turning into angels if we go to heaven. And so it seemed to me maybe uh, we, uh, it wouldn't be too early to start learning how to praise the Lord just, just in case we need that skill at some point. It won't be a waste if we don't. So if you want to join me for that topic, let's uh, open with a prayer. Shall we, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for gathering us together in your name. You are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the word made flesh. We pray for greater understanding, for greater love, Lord, for more of your presence in our lives. Amen. Amen. Sending love to those of you who are out online and on the phone and getting the audio podcast and here in the room. It really is such a pleasure. My heart always... Uh, Skips a beat when I see you, good friends. And um, I want to do something I haven't done for months, which is to tell you what this is. Uh, this is Spirit and Life Bible Study. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, 1688 to 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit, which we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life, meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly ourselves. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, what he says of his words applies, we believe, to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how we can get from hell to heaven. Thank you. So this is good fun. Learning to praise the Lord. Where I want to start here is in the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is a very challenging book. It's must, much sweated over. And um, Swedenborg has an interesting explanation for how it works. I want to look at Revelation chapter 5. And pretty, by the end, the latter half of the chapter is just all about praise. And there's three different groups that praise. So this is what got me thinking about all this. So let's start right at the beginning of this um, chapter. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Now, John, who was having this vision, says that he was on the Isle of Patmos, which is an island in the physical world, but he was lifted up into heaven or he was in the spirit or having visions and so on. So this was an otherworldly vision that he was having. And he saw uh, this person on the throne and he has this scroll in his hand. And the question is, who can open this? It has seven seals. That's very seal, isn't it? It's... You know, one would probably do it, but it's got seven seals. And who can possibly 
open this book and undo its seals. And if you follow the action in the book of Revelation, everything that happens after that is this kind of judgment. You know, all these things happen when the book is opened. All these things happen uh, that, that lead to this judgment and eventually the descent of this new Jerusalem from God out of heaven. And so this book is like a symbol of the judgment process that the Lord wants to take us through. But who, who has the power to open that book? So let's read on, verse 3 there. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Couldn't even look at it. That's right. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. And if I try to see what was making John weep about this, it was the fact that, um, you know, we can get stuck like as a culture religions can get stuck. It's become such a mess. You can't move on. And so how, how is this going to be resolved uh, if you can't even open the book? You know, how do we get to the next level if you can't even open the book or look at it? So he's grief-stricken about this. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David... Mm has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Yes, and the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is an image of the Lord, of the Messiah who came into the world. Go on. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Mm. Okay, now there's a couple of really important points to my mind in that verse. Uh, one is that, uh, you know, a lot of Christians believe that there's a trinity of persons. There's three separate persons. And so when you read in verse 1 about the one who sat on the throne, that sounds like it's got to be God the Father. That's, you know, God, God. And, and then... So here comes the lamb, and where is the lamb, dear reader? At the beginning of verse 6, where is the lamb? In the midst of the throne. Well, wait a minute. There's somebody already on the throne. You know, the lamb is in the midst of the throne. This, Swedenborg says that, that Jesus in this world was the manifestation of the Father. That's why Isaiah 9, 6 says that he's the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And uh, so it's just an interesting little clue the lamb is right in the middle. He's not somewhere else, doesn't have his own throne. He's right in the midst of the throne. And another point, it's so typical of the book of Revelation, you can hardly even picture it, what a lamb, as if it had been slain, which is weird, what does that mean? And it has seven horns. Lambs don't usually look like that. And seven eyes, which is weird. And then it explains what the eyes are. The eyes are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Well, an eye is a physical thing. The spirit of God sent out in the whole earth. What is that? That's some spiritual thing. And uh, I love the way Swedenborg explains this. He says the whole book of Revelation and the rest of Scripture is written in these correspondences where something physical corresponds to something spiritual or heavenly. 
And I love his explanation that horns have to do with power, eyes have to do with wisdom and knowledge. You know, we even see, if someone's explaining something to us and we say, oh, I see. We, we say that, right, when we, when we have understanding. And seven means all. Seven horns means all-powerful. It's also called omnipotent. Seven eyes means all-understanding, all-knowing, omniscient. These are the characteristics of the Lord. So all of a sudden, a really weird image that you can't really resolve in your mind pops into something meaningful about the qualities of the Lord. These are the qualities you have to have to be able to unfold this, this scroll that contains sort of everything in it. You, you, all you need, it's not too high a bar, you just need omniscience and omnipotence. Right? And uh, the Lamb has this. Uh, but as if slain is a reference to the fact that the Lamb, the people, this was a prediction from 2,000 years ago that a time would come in Christianity when people acknowledged Jesus but not as God. So he's kind of slain because you took the divine part out of him, which is really his life. You know, like he was only a human or he was some separate being or something confusing like that. Or he even had two different natures. He had a divine nature, he had a human nature, and, and uh, never the twain shall meet or something confusing. That's why he's as if slain. Okay, here we go. Now we get into the praise here. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Again, the book of Revelation keeps hinting that physical things are non-material. So you have these bowls, which are, or the incense is, the prayers of the saints. And uh, so in the structure of this, uh, verses 8 through 10 is one set of praisers. So these are the four beasts and the 24 elders, and they uh, fall down before the Lamb. And uh, what do they do in verse 9? And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Mm. Okay, so that's one group of praisers, and they're praising the Lamb for being able to open up this scroll. Now, look in verses 11 and 12. There's a second group of praisers. Let's read about them. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, and the elders. Oh, I see. So the throne and the living creatures and the elders were kind of an inner circle, right? And then you had all these angels around the outside. of This is a second group. Okay. And how many were there, would you say? And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Huh. Okay. Now that's uh, some of the... We had some fun a while ago with the arithmetic and so on, math in the Bible. Uh, if you said 10,000 times 10,000, you wouldn't really need, that would be 100 million, right? You wouldn't really need to say thousands of thousands. You already sort of nailed it with the 
10,000 to 10,000. Good old Swedenborg, if you've hung around with him before, you know he likes to liken things to good and truth or to the heart and the, and the mind. And uh, the 10,000s have to do with love and the thousands have to do with truth. And uh, this is related to when Saul and David, you remember Saul got uh, uh, jealous because the women were singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And they all, they, you know, Saul got mad because it's like David's better than he is. Well, that has to do with uh, David's coming from love. So, you know, Saul was just about the truth. The thousands and the ten thousands. You'll see this in scripture. That's why it's not just a mere repetition, but that you have two different kinds of angels in this second ring, some of which are about love and some of which are about truth. Okay, and then what do they say? Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Mm. Now, if I count correctly, that's seven things that the Lamb is supposed to, you know, is worthy to receive. Number one, power. Number two, riches. Number three, wisdom. Number four, strength. Number five, honor. Number six, glory. And number seven, blessing. And I'll show you in a minute why I, you know, why I label those things. And so this is the praise of the second group. And then we've got a third group of praisers that kick in. Let's look at these in verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Mm. Okay, now, power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing... But the next group praises him for blessing and honor and glory and power. It's going in the other direction, kind of, isn't it? Like if you count them up, uh, blessing is number seven, honor is number five, glory is number six, and power is number one. So they, it doesn't completely reverse them, but the blessing and the power come in the opposite order, but the honor and the glory are still in the same sequence. And I love this kind of stuff. I don't know. I know it's geeky. I apologize, good friends. But Scripture just made me this way. I'm sorry. It just, you read it long enough, and you start to notice these little things that, whoa, those are kind of the same things, but they're in a different order. What is going on there? There's a third group that's got them in a kind of, and it only has four instead of the seven, but it's got number seven, number five, number six, and number one that it's praising for. And... Um, it's interesting too, isn't it, that the first group praises the Lamb, the second group praises the Lamb, the third group praises the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, like it's kind of got the two separate in there, which, which is kind of interesting. And let's just read that 14th verse there. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Now, this is one of those classic, you know, nobody's weirder than the book of Revelation that wins the prize every time for weirdness. But uh, 
but there's an interesting structure in there. As you go forth from here, there are seven of these, and then seven of those, and then seven of the other thing. Always before the seventh, there's a pause, and then you get to the seventh, and that sets off the new round. And there's a structure in there, even though you can't really tell what's going on. It's like a child watching Olympic ping pong or something, but uh, there is something going on in there. And uh, what Swedenborg has to say about this, but he has a lot to say about this, but what he says, briefly put, is that these are the three heavens. So the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, that first group from verses 8 to 10, that's the highest heaven. That's how they're reacting to it. They sing a song. They're so happy that the Lord has redeemed us. Um, and it even goes to far, it sounds weird, but it says that the Lamb has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Um, what Swedenborg says that means is that the Lord has given us kings have to do with truth and priests have to do with love. Everything in here does. And so uh, the Lord has given these qualities, uh, and these highest angels recognize that, what he's done. And uh, then these qualities in verse 12, the power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing, have to do power, omnipotence, right? And they, power and riches, wisdom and strength has to do with omniscience, and honor and glory have to do with uh, good. Honor is goodness, and glory is truth. And so I'm interested that honor comes first and then glory, and even when they flip everything around, and the next one in verse 13, and you get the blessing first and you get the power last, the honor and glory still came, come in the same order because love has to come first. Goodness has to come first. Truth doesn't matter if you're flipping everything else around. you got to get your love in the right order with your truth. The honor comes first. You can see that honoring is like loving. Glory has to do with the truth. And um, so they're ascribing these qualities and recognizing that all these blessings come from the Lord. Uh, and so this echoes around back to the first group again, and they fall down and they worship. And so, so it starts out sort of a strange scene, but when you start to think about it, I was just thinking about those angels praising and praising and Swedenborg's teaching that, uh, you know, if we're lucky, that's us a few years from now, you know? That, that can be the outcome for us to be part of those groups. What Swedenborg says about those three groups, how do you get into the different groups? Well, Swedenborg says, if you're into kind of following the instructions on the box, you end up in that lowest heaven group, that verse 13 group. Uh, if you're also willing to allow the Lord into your mind and to reform all your thinking and throw everything up in the air, uh, you can get into that second group, the middle heaven group in verses 11 to 12. But if you allow the Lord into your heart, you go to that deepest level and allow the Lord in at that level, then you get to be in verses 8 to 10 there. And so these are just, this is up to us. It's not like, oh, you to the left, you to the right, okay. Uh, we have some choice about where we end up by the way that we live. Not that we sort of consciously say, well, I'm going here, you know, but it's just a way that uh, choices that we make in opening up to the Lord. So, okay, these are, even, even the worst guys up there are pretty good at praising, I think, you know? And so it would behoove us to get good at this, wouldn't it? 
so how do we learn to praise the Lord? What is this praising about? There is so much in Scripture about praising. The Psalms especially, but it's all over. The praises, 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 praising the Lord, praising the Lord. There's just so much praising in, in the book. Let's look at some other passages, shall we, friends, the way we normally do. Let's go back to the first book in the Bible, Genesis. Go to chapter 29. Now, didn't it say the lion of the tribe of Judah? Didn't it call the Lord the lion of the tribe of Judah? Look at verse 35 in Genesis 29. It's the very last verse in the chapter. This is when Judah was born, and this is what he's named for. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Okay, now this was her fourth child. So she had Reuben in verse 32, Simon in verse 33, Levi in verse 34, and then Judah in verse 35. And I'm interested that um, you know, Reuben has to do with faith. Simeon has to do with actually practicing that faith. Levi is the charity that develops. But Judah is love. And Judah is the one, now I will praise the Lord. When you get to the love point, after you've been through the other three, you know, there are actions of praising that we can do, and that's good practice to have. There are words that we can say of praising. There are thoughts we can have related to praising. And those are all things that I think we can have some control over. But the part that would be really great would be the feeling, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice to have that feeling of wanting to praise the Lord? And, uh, but if you go through Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, we can get to Judah. If we do those three, then you get to four. It says, now I will praise the Lord. Now the love is there. Now we're ready to really praise the Lord. Uh, turn to the right and look at Exodus 15. Such an awesome story. Children of Israel were captive in Egypt and and they got free and there was all this let my people go and all these plagues and all this mayhem and everything. And then the Egyptians came and attacked the people uh, and they were terrified. Uh, but they got through on the dry land and came out the other side and then they saw the Egyptians just wiped out. And look at 15 verses 1 and 2 there. Uh, what's the first thing they do when they see the Egyptians wiped out? Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. I will praise him. Yes. So... The praise really gets going after the Egyptians are dead. If your Egyptians are still alive, you may not be in the mood to praise just yet, but it's coming. When, when they're dead, then you really feel like praising. And what do they correspond to? They are our own evils, our sin, you know, the things, the, the bad things that we've done and stuff that's plagued us, that held us in prison, uh, false concepts, bad teachings and so on that held us uh, down. And when the Lord powerfully gets rid of that, then you're in the mood to sing. This is the first song in Scripture. There's some mention of musical instruments before this, but this is the first song. 
when those Egyptians go, yeah, now we're in the mood to sing. And this whole chapter down to verse 19 is a big song. And then Miriam comes out and she starts singing. And, you know, it's a big celebration. Uh, that's an example of praise. Turn to the right, if you will, and let's go through Leviticus and Numbers and get to Deuteronomy, the fifth of the books of Moses, so-called. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let's read verses 20 to 22 at the end of the chapter there. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. Mm. He is your praise. He is your praise. Like he, he is your praise. Go on. And he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. See, you're more in the mood to praise when you've actually seen the great and awesome things, when you're, when you're looking at those. Go on. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Yes, yeah, so this corresponds to just the tremendous growth that can happen in our minds and hearts over time. You start out with just a little, little group, a couple of generations, and then it grows and grows and grows. And then you really feel like praising the Lord because he's, you see what, what he's doing. Turn to the right and let's go through Joshua to Judges. I want to get to Judges chapter 5. Um, here's another, another song. Scripture's full of these things. So there was another battle that they won. And look at 5 verses 1 there. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Yes, and then, then you've got a nice long song if you need to know what to sing when next time you're in the mood to praise there's another big nice long song there of praises and again it's about an enemy being taken care of and the rejoicing that happens after that let's go to the right to second samuel 22 2 samuel 22 one of my favorite chapters and um, this is david king david and he is saying something similar about enemies and so on. Let's start at verse 47 there. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. There it is. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king, and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants evermore. Forevermore. Yes, so you see some singing of praises and giving of thanks and so on. Again, when the enemy's dealt with, that's when you really feel like praising. Let's go to the right through First and Second Kings to First Chronicles, chapter sixteen. Oh, 
There's so much we could read here. Let's just look at uh, verse 7. Go ahead. On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. To thank the Lord. And so then you get a psalm. So it's like this is the, the first psalm or something. You know, he, he delivered this. Uh, and this is to thank the Lord. So the, again, the whole thing is thanking the Lord and praising him. Let's go to verse 25. I like this phrase here. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Greatly to be praised. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. That's right. He is also to be feared among, feared above all gods. Mm. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Yeah, the Lord is the real thing. He actually made the heavens. You know, the, uh, He's not just an idol. He's real. And then look at this. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Yes, interesting. Honor and majesty. In the uh, Old King James, it says glory and honor, which is the same thing that was in the list, but in the other order. But interesting that praises often have about the Lord's qualities. Oh, we got to read a little more there. So beautiful. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, Give to the Lord glory and strength. Yes, glory and strength. Those were on the list, weren't they? Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Mm, and it goes on from there. It's just beautiful about rejoicing and rejoicing His presence. And He comes to judge the earth, it says at the end of uh, verse 33. And let's read from verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good for his mercy and yours forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And the people said, Amen. That's right. And what did they do? And praised the Lord. Yes, they did. They they got the hang of it, you know. <laughs> he was doing some good praising, and then they said, Amen, Amen, and they praised the Lord in response to this. So there's another nice psalm of, of praise for you. Uh, let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 5. Do you see, friends, how often it's in the, uh, the spirit of, uh, of uh, overcoming the enemies, what was uh, called the Gentiles there, uh, you know, uh, meaning evil spirits or something, not the Gentiles are evil spirits, but that's what it means in the inner meaning. Let's look at Second Chronicles 5 and start at verse 11. Oh, this is great. And note the use of music here. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions, and the Levites who were the singers, oh, all, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests surrounding with trumpets. Okay. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. Were as one. 
they all came together, right? When they were as one, when the trumpeters and the singers were as one, interesting phrase, go on. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, what do you think is going to happen when they all sing together and they're praising and the trumpets are going and all the musical instruments and they're praising the Lord and they're saying that same thing, he is good, his mercy endures forever. What happens at the end of that verse? That the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Yes, that was some good music. Yeah, when they really get it going, then the glory of God comes down into the building and they can't even keep ministering because it's just so full of the glory of God. And I thought that was so interesting, the idea of the trumpeters and the singers making uh, were as one and making one sound. You know, they're all doing the same song. They're all doing the same thing and they're all praising the Lord saying he is good and his mercy endures forever. That's when uh, the magic happened. The, the house fills with the cloud and they can't even minister because the glory of the Lord fills the building. That's great. Let's turn to the right and go to Ezra. We don't go to Ezra every week. It's right after Second Chronicles there. And let's go to Ezra chapter 3. Let's start at verse 10 there. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord mm. according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Yes, commanded to praise the Lord. And they have all the musical instruments. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Hmm, those last three praises all said that same thing, about how he's good and his mercy endures forever. Isn't that interesting? And what did the people do? Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Wow, okay, so the foundation, so they're making a new temple to the Lord, and when that foundation, they don't even wait for the thing to be finished. It's just when the foundation of the house was laid, then they shout, so shouts of praise, singing music and all that, all this glorification. Then there's this interesting little wrinkle here, which I can't resist reading. It's just so fascinating to me. Look at verse 12. There's a but. Is there not? Is there a but in there your translation? There is a but. Okay. But... Many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who old had seen... Old men, see, old men, you know. <laughs> old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. Yes, and, isn't that interesting? So it was a bittersweet experience for people who had seen that first temple because they remembered the destruction of it and all the years that they had no temple... And so it's very interesting that some of the elders, all this praising and hallelujah is going on and everything, but some of the older ones who remember are also weeping about it. And look at verse 13. What was the effect of all that? 
so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. <laughs> Are you happy or sad? You know, can't quite tell. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Mm, I just thought that was potent, that, that juxtaposition of this joy and sadness at the same time, you know. Uh, I just thought that was very rich. Okay, let's go into the Psalms. I just want to read a few things in the Psalms here. Let's go to Psalm, so turn to the right, Psalm 18. One of the things that I noticed so much in doing this study, and there, there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references to praising, and very often, I've only picked a couple here, but very often they're in the future tense. You know that, don't you, friends, when you've seen it? It's, I will praise, you know. It's not necessarily, I am praising. It's like, I will pray. It's something in the future. Look at 18, verse uh, 49. Oh, look at 48, because that tells you why. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Hmm. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Yes, I will. I, I will do this. You know, it has a little bit of a future feeling to it. Uh, look at 22, Psalm 22, verse 22, also in the future tense. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. I, yes, I will praise you. It's kind of future tense thing. Let's go to Psalm 134. You can see from the fact that so much of the rejoicing that we read about happened after an enemy is dealt with long into the story. That's when the, so the I will praise you, it, like it often is a future state for us, isn't it? I just thought Psalm 134 was kind of cute. Let's read the whole thing. Shall we just go crazy? Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Mm. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Yeah, I like that reference of lifting up your hands. You know, that was an, and interesting too, that little, it's a, it's a wonderful kind of psalm about blessing the Lord and being blessed by the Lord. But it's got that interesting little, by night, you're standing in the house, you know, you're waiting. So I think the good thing hasn't happened yet. They're just like lifting their hands, but it's nighttime. Swedenborg says that spiritually nighttime always has to do with the state of obscurity or lack of understanding and that kind of thing. And so even when they're not necessarily feeling it, the sun isn't out, it isn't great, you know, they're still lifting up their hands and, and in the sanctuary and blessing the Lord. Those, the servants of the Lord who stand by night in the, in the house of the Lord. I thought that was an interesting image. And uh, now, dear reader, look at Psalm 146. How would you say that starts? Praise the Lord. That does start that way, doesn't it? Yes. And what does it say there in the first couple of verses? <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. 
I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. While I have my being. In the old King James, while I have any being. <laughs> you know, while I have any, anything at all. If I am someone, I'll praise the Lord. Psalm 147, how you would you say that starts? Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. Now, this is interesting. Look at verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. See, that's kind of what the Lamb was doing when he opened the book. It's, it's about building this new thing. Okay, the old thing has gotten bad, and it's not working anymore. Praising the Lord because he's building the new thing that, that is called Jerusalem and gathering together the outcasts, and goes on to say he's healing the broken heart and binding up the wounds and so on. Uh, so the, praising the Lord. Uh, Psalm 148, how would you say that starts? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. And it goes on. It's just wonderful. The whole thing is like that. That's right. And it ends with the very last line in verse 14. Praise the Lord. That's right. How about Psalm 149? How does that start? Praise the Lord. Okay, and how does it end at the end of verse 9? Praise the Lord. Oh, I see. How do, what does verse 6 say in there, by the way? Six. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Mm, the two-edged sword has to do with truth. That's spiritual and earthly truth. Uh, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Yes. That's right. And how about Psalm 150? Let's read the whole thing. Okay. Praise the Lord. I see. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. That's right. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Mm. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. That's right. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Mm. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There you go. That's right. That's how the Psalms end. So the Psalms have something to do with praising the Lord, I would argue, on that basis. And uh, they tell us things about how to praise the Lord. And it's much more of a theme than we even brought out here. But there's a lot of praising the Lord there in the Psalms. And uh, I was struck by that last verse there. Everything that has breath, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, so you see why I'm saying let's, you know, learning to praise is a good thing. Learning how to praise the Lord is a good thing to know how to do because if we're going to be in circle three or circle two or circle one, if we have breath, you know, let, let's learn how to do this, how to praise the Lord. Uh, let's go to the New Testament. Oh, no, I want to do one more in the Old Testament. Let's go to Dan. So to get there, you have to go through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and you go to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Or maybe too familiar calling him Dan. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> Dan's, we're on a first name basis now. Uh, Daniel chapter 2. One second. Keep going. That's right. To the right there. Yeah, there you go. After Ezekiel. Keep going. That's right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Daniel chapter 2. 
And let's look at, uh, this is all about, oh, uh, look at verse 19. Let's start there. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Yes, this secret was revealed to him that he'd been, you know, everybody had been asked to know what about the king's dream? What was the dream and what did it mean? And Daniel was blessed in a night vision with understanding. So listen to what he says then. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Mm. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. Mm. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Mm. I think those are some of those different heavens we were reading about before. Go on. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness Mm. and light dwells with him. Here's a nice verse here. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Yes, that's right. So the king had put this impossible demand. And so it's, a, it's tense and he needs to figure out and the king has threatened to kill everybody who doesn't tell him. And, uh, and then God reveals it to Daniel. And so this praise, it's thankfulness that something has been revealed to him. So this is about that thankfulness that you feel when there's some revelation of truth, you know, that you realize. See, one moment, I don't know if you have this experience, I'm sure you do, good friends, where one moment you don't know something or you don't know the answer to something, and then does it sometimes pop into your head? You know what I mean? Like you've been wrestling, sometimes you might wrestle with something for months or years or so, don't know what to do about it, and all of a sudden, oh, I could do it this way or something. Well, then you know that came from the Lord because if you could generate it on your own, you probably would have done so in the preceding months or years, right? It just pops in. I love the way things pop in, especially for me, first thing in the morning when I'm just waking up, you know, kind of time like, oh, you know, all of a sudden there's, there's a little light there and it just makes you happy. You, you want to praise the Lord because you realize that, that wisdom, that little piece of um, Knowledge came from the Lord. He reveals deep and secret things. Um, So that makes us want to praise the Lord. Let's go into the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke. We're having so much fun, aren't we, friends? Oh, so much fun. Luke chapter 1. Now, you may remember this uh, person named Zacharias, who was a priest and he went into the temple and he saw an angel and because he didn't believe what the angel was saying, that he would have a child even though he was old and his wife was old, he was struck dumb. He couldn't speak for months and months and months till the baby was born. And then this is about the moment when his mouth was opened finally. Look at, and it's after he names, he has to write the name of his son. His name is going to be John. And then look at verse 64 in Luke 1. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. Oh, no, we're... Oh, oh, yes, one verse before that. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, yep. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Yes. You know, after you've been mute for perhaps nine months or whatever length of time, you know, it's kind of nice that the first thing he says, like, 
Oh, thank you, Lord. I can speak again. You know, he's praising the Lord. And he does go into this great testimony. I love that end of the chapter there where he testifies about the Lord. Then you get the Christmas story in chapter 2. And look at 2 verse 13. The angel comes and tells him all about the Lord is coming. All these are about this big spiritual transition, aren't they? So many of these passages are about dealing with an enemy, getting new clarity, new truth, and so on. Look at 2 verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Yes, glory. They're saying that, you know, the number of these people have been saying glory in their praises, haven't they? Given the glory to, to God. And then the angels went away, and the shepherds went into Bethlehem to see what had happened. And they go there, and they see it. And in verse 20, how did they feel having actually seen that what the angels told them was real? Then the angel, pardon me, then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Yes. So it, there was, so the angels are praising and giving them this message. And then when they see it for themselves, then they're glorifying and praising God. You know, they sort of pick up the song. It's like that next ring, isn't it? You know, the next ring starts praising because you say, oh, yeah, it was true. It really is true. And again, all about this time where the presence of the Lord increases, that lamb, you know, opening up something new and taking us to the next level. Look at Luke 24 at the very other end of the story. So that's the Christmas story. Now we're at the, after Easter and the Lord has appeared to the disciples several different times. And look at verse 50 and to the end of the chapter in Luke 24. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. This was the resurrected Jesus, and he just appeared to them behind closed doors, and he'd eaten and everything. And then he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Yes. That's how the story ends, praising and blessing God. So it begins with these praises. Oh, something new is coming. The angels know it. Oh, then the shepherds find out. They're all excited. Eventually, even the disciples catch on, and they're full of praise, and they're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. They return to Jerusalem with great joy uh, because the Lord explained everything to them. Because uh, in that chapter, he explains what all the Old Testament means and how it's all about him. Uh, turn, if you will, through John to Acts. It's the very next one after John, and let's go to Acts chapter 2, the famous uh, day of Pentecost. And I just want to look at the very end of this, verses 46 and 47. So continuing, <clears throat> so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And what were they doing? Praising God oh. and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now let's keep going into chapter 3 there. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Mm. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. 
and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He, he's begging out there. So he wants, you know, he needs something. And so he, oh, okay, it, this must be that they're about to give me something. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Mm. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and bone ankles received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Okay, now there's your three. That's your big three, right? Walking, leaping, and praising God. So that's, is he excited? Zacharias was excited because he hadn't been able to speak for many, many months. All of a sudden he can speak. He's praising, you know... He's genuinely thankful. Uh, this person hasn't been able to walk. All of a sudden, he can not only walk, he's walking and leaping and praising God. It's a great image, isn't it? And uh, look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Yes, so we, we can... We can stop there, I guess. But um, uh, so this, these, these readings have this theme in them to my eye of praise being most, um, it's after you go through Reuben, Reuben and Simeon and Levi that you get to Judah and you're really, your heart is full and then you're, you're full of praise. Something's been cured for you. Something's been healed. Some problem's been cast down. Then you praise. But I'm also interested in those servants of the Lord who are in the temple by night and they're lifting up their hands and they're praising. It's, the sun hasn't even dawned yet, but they're praising the Lord already. They're, they're getting ready. And that's what I'm hoping we'll be able to do here. Um, uh, so our words and our actions and our thoughts, we can possibly have some control over. So we can try to get into some habit of praising the Lord, uh, even though this life is so difficult and there's so much loss and pain and confusion and everything. It's very hard many days to rejoice and leap for joy uh, because we don't see a miracle yet. We're still on, we're still night, you know, we, we're, we're still lame, right? <laughs> we, we, we're still beset by enemies and so it's hard to rejoice yet. Um, but if we can do those things, I think the Lord can eventually bring us into that Judah state where the heart kicks in and where you really feel the praise. You can't help it. You're just jumping around because you're, you're so happy. Um, and some thoughts of praise. Swedenborg says that he witnessed in the heavens. He says one of his great claims is that he could see into the afterlife while he was still alive in this world. And he describes just seeing these astonishing praises that where the whole of the heavens are just like shouting from the east to the west it goes this way and then then the south to the north and they're all praising God and rejoicing and everything because something new is happening you know we're moving forward the angels get very excited about this like they've they've waited for this forward motion uh, so this amazing glorification so I think if we can come to the point where I, our eye, where we can see 
that he truly does have seven horns. He really does have all the power. He truly does have seven eyes. He has all the consciousness, all truth and all wisdom are his. What this requires, good friends, in addition to my favorite word, repentance, is that you, we, we can live sometimes, can we not, on this little sort of island of self and this little island of self-centeredness and where we're the most important thing and everybody else is just garbage or something. Uh, that is not a position of praising God. We don't feel good in that, in that situation. You know, if we can get that little, th you know, just try to get over ourselves a little bit, you know, um, uh, not take ourselves so seriously, a lot of the painful experiences that we go through in this life are designed to give us some humility, some compassion for others, to break that sort of great I am, you know, the little king me that, that we've got in there to shake that up and to make us more aware of like, oh, wait, I've, you know, it's not really that I sort of by my own power have achieved all these amazing things in my life. You realize, oh, I'm just lucky that thought flowed in. I used to have a thing on my computer uh, the, <laughs> uh, years ago that was like, I think it was Curly saying, um, I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. And um, I love that, <laughs> and the computer sometimes does feel that way. Um, we're so lucky that we just have a thought, you know, you can try to think. Someone says, what was the name of that? You know, I saw the movie last night, cannot tell you the name of it, you know, it's not coming to me. Uh, and then pop, you know, the next day or something when you don't need it, it it'll just pop, pop in. Uh, those things come from the Lord, they're little reminders that the Lord is giving this to us. So when we start to see that the Lord, wow, the Lord is at work in my life. The Lord has loved me way more than I had any clue when I was going through all that stuff and I was mad about it and I thought my life was somewhere else and should have been something different and the wrong thing happened and everything. Uh, but when you look back and you see, whoa, the breathtaking love, the mercy. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. You know, his mercy is over all his, his works, tender mercies, right? Uh, you look back and say, whoa, sometimes you can glimpse the Lord at work in your life. Sometimes you can glimpse the Lord at work in other people's lives if you're so fortunate. You know, you see, wow, that really worked out uh, better than it had any right to. When you see the Lord's creation, I was thinking, when I was thinking about this topic, for some reason, I started thinking about the fact that, like, dirt is is amazing isn't it dirt, just the dirt the soil out there is able to purify all these things you can put a carcass in it and it'll just clean it right up this pure sewage you just run it through some dirt and it'll be all pure you can drink it you know and out of that comes all this food and medicine you know plants and everything so like the dirt is amazing you know if we can see what the lord is doing uh, it helps us praise the Lord. And this world is nothing compared to the next world. The next world is so staggeringly amazing. Uh, so being able to see the Lord's spiritual creation, seeing the Lord's love for everyone, and that omniscience, all those eyes that are able to watch, the Lord has eyes on each one of us and watches how our life unfolds and is writing this amazing eternal story with us, just staggering. When we glimpse that, the magnificence of heaven, 
the idea of being in the other world, like finally having enough time. Don't people say, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know? Well, there is time, you know, there's time to really uh, develop rela relationships, grow in love and wisdom, become a better vessel, work with others in heaven. Heaven's really great. But perhaps the greatest thing is the Lord's ability to make everything new, to take a mess, a tangled mess. John is weeping. Nobody can fix this thing. It's way too complex. Who could ever fix it? Luckily, nothing like that happens in our lives. Our lives are straightforward and good things work for us. But if you try to imagine what it's like to be in a big mess and then imagine the Lord having the ability to untangle that mess and say, oh, this is part of my plan. Look at this. Watch me. Watch me now. And then he takes it. Whoa, that was good. One of Swedenborg's cool teachings is that the Lord flows through what I might politely refer to as our junk, like our garbage, our basement. We're like a dark cloud. The Lord flows through that like the light and turns it into this gorgeous rainbow, our junk. He turns our crud into a beautiful rain. You know, that's, it's astonishing. If you can see the Lord at work and start to see that, you know, the angels are rejoicing. They're all rejoicing. Everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. So uh, I think it's a great thing to start practicing now when we don't necessarily feel it. It's great to sort of get it siphoned. Uh, you know, try to practice it. Sometimes you can get into the mood of it. And, uh, and sometimes we generally do feel this absolute rejoicing. But I think it's important not to wait Part of what I'm talking about tonight is let's not wait until we feel it. Like, that'll be great. When we feel it, there'll be no problem. Just launch into praise mode. You're there. Uh, but before then, uh, there are all these examples in Scripture. I mean, we didn't touch the surface of it in here. All this praising, praising, praising in here. All these praises of the Lord in the Word. And especially for the Lord's ability to renew everything, to make a whole new spiritual environment, to bring us more alive and more awake so that the light of the sun is like the light of seven days and like the light of the moon becomes like the light of the sun. Everything gets this huge universal upgrade. Uh, that's what really gets the angels praising and excited. And uh, so if we get into practice, the, the situation you don't want to get into is if you spend your whole life on the island of self and you never create, there's not a room in there anywhere. There's nothing in your memory or your experience of ever praising. It's just going to be hard to kind of install that after the fact. So if we can try to get some of that going, however pitiful now, or it may be very meaningful already, um, we'll be ready for greater, greater praises. We'll be ready to join that choir invisible. It'll be awesome. Singing the praise of the Lord. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer. Mm. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You bowed the heavens and came down into this world and were resurrected, Lord, in order that you may make all things new. And this work, even now, thousands of years later, is barely 
beginning. The best has yet to come in every sense of the word. The best has yet to come. Teach us, O Lord, to praise. Teach us the words of praise. Teach us the actions. Lift up our hands, Lord. Teach us the thoughts of you, the thoughts that you express in your word, those thoughts of praise. And eventually, Lord, bring us into Judah. Now I will praise the Lord. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we may truly praise him.